So that is the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus. And you've probably heard that before. I would be shocked if that was the first time you've ever heard that story. But how does it impact you? I talked about that feeling of leaving the movie theater and feeling inspired, kind of supercharged, walking away a foot taller. When we hear the Christmas story, do we feel that way? You know, can we kind of connect the dots to how important of a story it is? Or do we, uh, if you're like me, maybe sometimes you kind of, oh, I've heard this one before, and you kind of tune it out. I mean, the story of Jesus' birth is a, is a huge moment in history, a massive moment, really, and a huge moment in all of God's story. Uh, we have God's word, we, God's word, the Bible, right? And this is the story of humanity. This is the story of, of God, right? And it all started back when the whole world began, back when God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And part of that creation was humanity. He created man. He created woman. He created them in his image, right? in his likeness, to rule, to have dominion over the earth. But there's a big hiccup that happened really early in the story, a big hiccup. And it's a story well known. It's a story where Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, they... They messed up. They thought that their way was better than God's way. God had laid things out for them, but they disobeyed him, and they sinned. You're probably familiar with the word sin, but this is what it was. It was a rebellion against God. And this sin, this disobedience, this turning the other direction, had huge consequences. They alienated themselves from God. God is perfect and holy in every possible way, but man was now sinful and vile. So there was a great divide, right? Communion with God had been interrupted. It had been broken. But amazingly, even in the first few pages of the Bible, in the first few pages of history, God made promises uh, even then to deliver humanity from the weight and penalty of sin. Now again, maybe you've heard this story before and maybe you've kind of tuned out. Maybe you've heard the story before and it's gripped your heart. Maybe you've never really heard this and thought about the implications of this story. So th- but this may feel distant to you. But if you are a living, breathing human, this is your story. This is my story. You were created by God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, in his very image. And your story, like mine, like Adam's and Eve's, is one of rebellion. We chose our own way. We actively rebelled against God, the king of the universe. Right? We we do this pretty well every day. Right? You think that lie I told was justified, hurting that person was okay. Right? That website was okay to look at. You know, I deserved that thing that I had to steal. Right? We justify things, but we go against God. We rebel against him by sinning. And then what do we do? We're left empty, right? These things never satisfy, and so we're left empty, and what do we do? Well, we fill that void by worshiping other things. Tim Keller calls them counterfeit gods. We put our hopes in things that could never satisfy our work, hobbies, money, relationships, you name it. And I have bad news, and I think you know it, that these things will never, never fulfill us. These things will always fail. 
Now, I'll tell you, you came here thinking, hey, it's Christmas Eve. Let's be encouraged, right? This is a pretty crummy story, honestly, so far, right? We have took a huge uh, detour off of the path that we should be on, right? We're sinners. And so that's honestly bad news, but this isn't a Christmas downer because the bad news quickly takes a turn to be good news when the good news intersects. And so that's where we're going to be today, considering the good news of the gospel. That's what the gospel means. If you've heard the word gospel, it means good news. We're going to see how the good news changes the story. So we're going to be in the book of Galatians. If you have your Bibles with you, if you can turn to Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 7. So just a couple verses, but we're going to be looking at how this bad news intersects with the good news. And so the stage is set, right? We're all sinners. Okay, we've rebelled against God. That's the stage that we launch into this passage in Galatians. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Paul writes this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Right, so we have bad news. And right away, we see God has made a way for this bad news to be made right. No one could live a perfect, sinless life. And so what did God do? He sent his son. He sent his only son to live that perfect, sinless life. I'm hearing a hum, hum worried it's about to feed back, but he sent his son to come and live the perfect sinless life. So God knew that we could never measure up, that we couldn't, we couldn't meet the mark. And so it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. This isn't new trivia about what Christmas is all about, but this is why Christmas is a celebration. Jesus came as God with us, Emmanuel, completely divine, yet born of a woman, born under the law. If you think about that, that's pretty crazy. And honestly, I gloss over this all too often in my own life. Jesus was completely God, yet fully subject to being completely human and under the obligations of the law. But this is critical. This is critical doctrine. Jesus being fully God and man is what qualified him to be the savior of the world. As a human, he could redeem humanity. Only a sinless man could redeem sinful men. God is fair and just. Maybe you've heard that before, but maybe you have a hard time believing it, knowing and understanding the penalty for sin. The penalty for sin, the penalty for rebellion against God is death. But God is fair and just, I said. So how does that work? Well, you think of a judge on earth... They wouldn't be a very good judge if they just let everybody off scot-free, right? They're fair if they do as they are supposed to do. And so, like a fair earthly judge, God is the perfect fair judge. And so we know the cost of sin. 
but yet we willingly walk into it. It's not like, I don't know if there's hockey players here where you know you got a two-minute penalty for tripping, but you're like, two minutes, that's, that's not really, I'll count the cost because I need to trip this guy because he's going to score. Right? That's counting the cost and understanding the penalty. There's an exchange there. Maybe for the soccer players, there's a yellow card. I think that's not super serious. Right? We count the cost, but for some reason, we do that with our sin. We think, oh, we justify it. Oh, it's, it's worth it. I need to do this. But the, the cost of sin is a separation from God. Sin is a curse. What's unbelievable, though, is, uh, as we read, the purpose of Jesus' coming was, in verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law, to redeem those who carried that weight, that burden, that curse of sin. Just a chapter earlier in Galatians, Paul writes that Jesus actually redeemed us from the curse. Redeemed us from the curse of sin. And how does he do that? By actually becoming the curse for us. Think about that. Becoming the curse for us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus becomes the curse for us. Jesus, the only sinless man to ever live, took the full weight of all of humanity's sin on his shoulders. He exchanged his righteousness for our wrongs. And what's the byproduct? We read in the second half of verse 5, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Think about this exchange. This is... I mean, if you've heard it before, maybe you're, you're letting it fly over your head. But this exchange is mind-blowing. Jesus exchanged his righteousness for our wrongs. Jesus himself illustrates this in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. If you know the story, the son takes the inheritance from his father while his father is still alive. So he's essentially saying to the father, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. He goes and wastes all the money on frivolous, sinful living. And he burns all the cash away. And he ends up in such a de desperate situation that he, he gets a job feeding pigs. And he's so desperate and starving that all he wanted to do was eat the pig's slop. You know, eat the food that they were eating. And so what does he do? He decides to go back to his father and beg to return. Knowing, though, that he can't return as a son but he would beg to return as a slave of the father. And so he does that. He goes back to his father, and amazingly, the father shows radical mercy. He runs to him. He doesn't even let the son suggest slavery, but he welcomes him in as a son with open arms. And so this is why the good news is good, right? This is, it's crazy good. Jesus came to redeem you and I from the curse of sin. We ran away, we rebelled, and yet he stands there with open arms. And not to return to an eternal debt or a slavery, but as an adopted son or daughter of the king. And so I have a question for you. Does this make sense to you? Honestly, it doesn't make sense to me, right? It doesn't seem like this exchange, it, something's unfair here. Right? 
I don't know about you, but I have a really hard time sometimes thinking that God loves me and especially that he loves me that much. How could a God send his only son to come and pay the penalty for sin for me? And the penalty of sin was death. And just because it's hard to believe doesn't mean it's not true. But apart from God, you and I are stuck in the vile orphanage of sin, not even deserving slavery, yet he adopts you as his own. And so I don't know your story coming in here on Christmas Eve 2020, what a year, but you may feel unreachable. You may be sitting there uh, thinking, there's no way I could be accepted as a son or a daughter of God. I might be too lost. Maybe you feel that way, but you're hiding it under this facade of having it all together. But know that God is running to you with open arms. So run to him. I'd encourage you, repent of that sin. Turn to him. Believe that he is signing the adoption papers. If you're a Christian here tonight, know that you haven't graduated from the gospel. You haven't graduated from this news. Tim Keller, again, says that the gospel isn't the ABCs of Christianity, but the A through Z of Christianity. I can say Z because Tim Keller's an American, but it's not the ABCs of Christianity, but the A through Z of Christianity. J.I. Packer uh, says this when we try to process this idea of being adopted. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. You have been adopted by the king of the world. Now, he didn't just stop and adopt you, right, and then forget about you. See, in verse 6, it says, And because you are sons, because you are adopted children of the king, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Abba. Father. The word Abba means father, right? But the word Abba is Aramaic, but it's not a cold, uh, unaffectionate way of saying father. It is the way that you would say father in the intimacy of a family circle. And so, You are adopted by the work of Jesus, but you're assured of that work by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so in the Bible, your heart is not the muscle that pumps blood through your body. Your heart is your very being. It's everything you are, your very essence. And so God gifts his Holy Spirit into your very being so that you can say, Abba, Father, right? You can call out to God as Father, but not just as, again, my kids don't call me Father. They call me Dad. Right? I mean, they're little, so they call me daddy. But it's not, this, this bridge has been uh, 
or this chasm has had a bridge built over it because of this. This is the same word, Abba, that Jesus himself calls out to God in his heartfelt prayer in Mark 14. And so in Jesus' death and resurrection, the gift of the Spirit allows you to be adopted and call out to God as Abba, Father. And then we see in verse 7, kind of a close to this passage. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And so honestly, this is why Christmas is a celebration. Right? Not because how we get together with our families, not because we have traditions, but Christmas is a celebration because 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us so that we could be adopted as God's children. And so honestly, 2020 has been a crummy year, but we can celebrate because we remember that Jesus came. We can look back on the fact that Jesus came and we can celebrate. We can live in the present and rest in the fact that we are sinners saved by grace and adopted children of the King. And we can look to the future in anticipation that Jesus will return one day to judge the living and the dead and we will be reunited with our Father. So we can look in the past, we can look in the present, and we can have hope in the future. And so if you're a Christian uh, here this evening, rest in this hope this Christmas. You are not a slave, but a son or daughter of the king. If you're not a Christian, I pray that 2020 would be the year that you consider this free gift, the gospel, the good news, the fact that that you have rebelled, but God is standing there with open arms, with the adoption papers, right? And so if, if, if you've never heard this before or never considered this for your life, please come talk to me. I'd love to tell you more about this good news. I'd love to give you a Bible. But ask those questions. Uh, don't be afraid uh, to ask those questions and, and run to Jesus. And so stories are important, right? Stories are inspiring. Stories are motivating and beautiful. But where are you at in your story? How has the greatest story ever told impacted you in your life? When you hear this message, when you hear the story of Jesus coming to redeem you and the story of the good news of the gospel, do you walk away from that good news feeling a foot taller, feeling like you have a hope? Or do you walk away unchanged? So I pray that we never get to the place where the gospel is old news, where we think we've graduated from this good news. And so I want to close with one of the first pages from one of our kids' uh, Bibles, little kid Bibles, the Jesus Storybook Bible. And the author, Sally Lloyd-Jones, she says this, and just uh, hear me out here about the Bible uh, being a story of hope. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. 
It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell the story, and at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He's like the missing piece in a puzzle. The piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly, you can see a beautiful picture. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this time that we could have together to be uh, gathered and just take a few quiet moments to think about the good news, the fact that you sent your son to come as a baby in humility, to, to, to live out humanity in its fullest sense, but to live a perfect life that we never could and to die the death that we deserve so that we could be made right with you. God, we thank you that uh, we know how that story ends, that Jesus did not stay dead, that he rose and took your full wrath so that we could be your sons and your daughters. And so God, remind us uh, more in our hearts of the gospel, of this good news. Help us to comprehend how radical this good news is and how even if this is a strange Christmas, how we can slow down to acknowledge the fact that Jesus came to bear our sin. God, sustain us as we head into another lockdown. God, we do not know the future. Um, things are so out of our control, but we know that nothing is beyond your control. And so I pray that you would uh, comfort, that you would bring peace. Um, and if it would be your will that that you would uh, bring things back uh, to the normal way that we used to do things. But God, we pray that your will would be done, whatever that looks like. God, please work in the hearts of everybody here, everybody listening, uh, to understand and know this good news more and more, the glorious gospel that saves and transforms. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.